Age to Practice, applying educational reading in the classroom. Join in the conversation using hashtag PagePracticePodcast. Page to Practice is a podcast focusing on the application of education research in the classroom. Each episode features a conversation with a different guest, teachers, authors and others interested in education, talking about what the phrase from page to practice means to them and the importance of applying evidence to classroom practice. Hi, this is episode four of series five, and today you're going to hear me talking to Tracy Lees. We chat about the book she co-authored with her brother, her current project, how reading can empower early career teachers, and the importance of women ed and being 10% braver. Hi, so I'm here with Tracy. Tracy, can you uh, introduce yourself, please? Yes, certainly. Uh, my name is Tracy Lees. I am um, a kind of new co-author uh, on the circuit, but predominantly I'm an assistant head teacher in the Midlands uh, and a mother. Great. And what does the phrase from page to practice mean to you? So for me, it it's all about bringing that which is abstract and that which is intangible to life. So I think it, it there's lots of texts in the education and in the wider kind of CPD arena that are well-intentioned, but if not lived, are just a book, just a page, just a, a bit of paper. So for me, it's about bringing it to life and it's about kind of exploring how my interpretation of a text is going to be different to yours because of where I work and because of what my role is. So for me, it's about that kind of juicy bit that's um, when you read a book and you take something different from it. And I'm, I am, I suppose I should point out an English teacher by trade. It might not be surprising because I've also written a book. Um, but for me, it's it's about that interpretive piece. Um, I'm, I'm bringing it to life and, and, and really looking at what it looks like in the classroom, in real life, and as the title suggests, in practice. You're listening to From Page to Practice. Join the conversation on Twitter using hashtag pagepracticepodcast. What more or less have you hoped to speak about on the podcast today? So I think one of the things I've learned um, about writing a book has been quite useful um, in terms of there's a whole community of uh, writers out there, uh, and particularly the thing that we, my brother and I wrote about, which is about female leadership. And I think there's a whole movement in education that we've kind of tapped into a little bit and we've certainly benefited from. But also the other part of my job is I'm an early career mentor and I work with ITTs and I work with ECTs. And of course, we engage fully with the early career framework, but there's also a job of work that doesn't fit within that framework. So so for me, I'm very keen to empower teachers right from the beginning of their career. We obviously know that we're in the midst of a huge national recruitment crisis and the numbers um, of, of teachers coming into through ITT are dwindling and the kind of market around ITT is changing very quickly. Um, so I think actually this, 
this bit of empowerment, um, this this job of work at the beginning of your career, I don't think it's ever been quite as important as it is now. Um, and something that, that I've written about and I believe strongly is that all teachers are leaders from the onset. And actually, you know, there's very little difference between something that a good teacher does and a good leader does. Um, and there's obviously tons out there written about leadership. Uh, but for, for me, for where I'm in my career, it, that's the exciting part of my job. So let's start with that and then I'm going to go on to your author experience okay. afterwards. So um, what, when you're talking about empowering new teachers, what do, you, what do you envisage? When you say that word empower, it's a great word. What is it you're, you're envisaging there? So for me, it's about creating teachers who don't just survive, who aren't just kind of counting out loud to half term and only just managing with the job, which is certainly how I remember my NQT year, particularly the first term. That was my, that was my early experience. Yeah, um, me and, too. <laughs> yeah. And, for, and fortunately I'd had a job before teaching. So I knew that, that it would be ephemeral. I knew that things would kind of ebb and flow and things would settle, um, but I feel really strongly that we've got to um, look after teachers and we've got to treat them like they're going to be leaders. And, and certainly where I teach in Stoke-on-Trent, which is a, a, a deprived area, and I'm, you know, I'm not being anecdotal, there's, there's lots of empirical data that suggests that it really matters who's in front of our children. And it isn't, isn't just about my school, although that's what my role started as. It now feels like a bigger, a bigger kind of civic civic role where really I and particularly as a parent I want really passionate well cared for teachers who who aren't just as I say barely coping but are actually thriving in this profession and and it's a great profession to 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 be in there's tons of support there's so much opportunity and and maybe never more so than now in terms of teachers who are ambitious, you know, you've got teachers coming out of the early career framework and getting TLRs you know, quickly. That wasn't my experience. I, I suspect it wasn't yours. You know, I, I had to like give a, a kind of a, an organ of mine and, and every after school and, and I'll do this assembly and I'll, I'll do that. But I think it, I think leadership is there for the taking for teachers, but We've got to care. We've got to really look after them. And the, the early career fr- framework is so well-intentioned, but it's not, in my opinion, quite where it needs to be just yet. I think there's a lot of feedback, isn't there? Mm-hmm, definitely. So what can colleagues in schools, not necessarily leadership, but leadership as well, what can colleagues in schools do to help empower those trainee teachers, those early career teachers that they're working with? Well, I think... We know, don't we, that teachers are, as mentors, are so well-intentioned, but we we know the reality of mentoring is that time is short, and if you're not careful, mentoring becomes like an add-on, or it becomes a kind of at the bottom of your to-do list. So I think making sure that that mentoring is really high profile, but also, you know, mentoring doesn't end when the early career framework ends, that actually we should coach those teachers and we should look at them as, you know, as, as the future leaders of our education system and really treat them as individuals. Because one of the difficulties with the early career framework is it isn't terribly bespoke uh, and it's, difficult in my experience to respond to emerging needs within the early career framework. So for example, 
some of the early career teachers that I work with, we're on this module, but they've got a question about their pension or about a union. And actually, they're quite valid questions, but it doesn't neatly fit into, you know, what mentoring perhaps is considered to be. So for me, it's about treating teachers like individuals. And I think this idea of empowering, it's like being a really good teacher, really getting to know them, what makes them tick, what do they want and what do they need to get there and how can I as a mentor or as a colleague or as an experienced leader, how can I help with that? Uh, And sometimes it's tangible, like here's a book, here's a podcast. And sometimes it's just, can I sit with you for an hour and can can I watch how you have a difficult conversation or can you walk this through with me? So for, for me, CPD is is very much a living, breathing organism. Um, and it's not just something that fits into a kind of neat framework. Absolutely. And how do you think this fits in with kind of the, well, the theme of what we're talking about anyway, from page to practice being evidence informed and kind of that, I hesitate to use the word movement, but you know what I mean of, of being evidence informed. How do you, does that all fit in with supporting these teachers and being good mentors and all of the rest of it? Well, I think as a good mentor, you have an obligation really to be evidence-informed to to some extent. But, you know, I think the idea of being evidence-informed recently has kind of been limited to certain avenues. And actually, people's experiences are valid and people's experience might sit outside that which is um, explored in, I don't know, the EEF, which is a very popular, and I understand I I use it too, I draw on that, but I wouldn't say that those kind of, it's almost like a canon of of, in education, I wouldn't say that they are kind of exhaustive, but certainly the idea of being evidence-informed is far better than being anecdotal. It's far better than just saying, oh, this happened to me early in my career. Because that's what a lot of mentoring used to be. It's a lot of, let me, come here, son. Let me tell you about when I, when I were a lad. And actually, that doesn't help. You know, that does, go, let's go and see a teacher who's been teaching 15 years to get really good at, at you know, managing behavior. It's not terribly helpful, is it? Because there's no way as, a, as an early career teacher you can emulate that. And there's nothing you can go away and think about no because you 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 go in there and and see that teacher who's built those relationships and they've got all the practice and it's not it's not like you say tangible for them to just lift off so when you know because that is something certainly when I was training I was encouraged to do all the time go and see loads of other teachers which is great but what Mm -hmm. else how do you encourage early career teachers to to look at the you know the the literature out there how do you encourage them to dig into that and support them to do that well I kind of cherry pick because I think it's a very overwhelming market so I will cherry pick um a bit of um you know well kind of known research you know these kind of pillars like uh, teach like a champion we'll dip into that we'll look at a bit of retrieval practice a bit of Kate Jones um and really try, but trying to kind of streamline it, but also not limit what early career teachers are engaging with. So for me, it's like, if you find something, please share it. And if I'm not aware of it, I'd love to hear about it. But like for, for me, where I'm at, I'm in my career, I have a job not thinking about work. So whereas I used to go home and want to read absolutely tons about education, I'm perhaps a bit different and I'll consume it in a different way. So podcasts, um, 
looking at like the walkthroughs that Tom Sherrington does. I love all those kinds of CPD because they don't feel like work. They don't really feel like work. So for me, I, I'll point them in different directions. Um, but by no means would I say that I endorse endorse it because it's a kind of it's an open forum. It's it's valid if it doesn't connect with you or it doesn't land with your particular role or subject or or context. But I love the dialogue. It's one of my favorite things about working with early career teachers. And it's a bit like teaching a text that you've taught for 10 years. And somebody says, what have, do you ever thought, think this means this? And you're like, oh, I just love it. I absolutely <laughs> love it. Um, do you think that dialogue is something that not everybody has the opportunity to to take part in? So, for instance, you know, in my first school or so, I felt kind of a bit of a, I've described it as a lone wolf, a bit of a, mm-hmm. you know, I was really into my pedagogy and reading and all of those things. And I felt like others around me didn't necessarily have those interests. What what do you what do you think for teachers in in that position, especially new teachers who feel like they're engaging with those things and they want to have that discussion? Where can they go beyond their school if they need to? Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the best things I think about the ECF is they do have face-to-face meetups and the early career teachers I work with definitely get a lot from that. Um, and, and it's that networking piece. And even though they say, oh, you know, they're from primary and we're secondary, they always come back, you know, invigorated. But I think Twitter's an amazing place for looking at, at research. And actually some people do the heavy lifting for you because they'll say, don't look at this, or this is really good, or, oh, look, I've ca- I've summarized this. Um, like, Hayley Hughes does this really well. She'll say, this is my this is my stance on mentoring, but here it is on, like, an A4 sheet of paper, and I'm like, yes, thank you so, so much. So I think I think there's a there's a market out there, and I think early certainly the ones I work with, early career teachers, are hungrier for it than I ever remember people of kind of my cohort and generation and I think it's all to do with um this kind of shift around teachers and I think I think I don't know teaching feels a bit more prest- I don't know if it's me but it feels like there's a little bit more prestige around the academic part that like I didn't get I mean I, I got a, a kind of free master's offer um which was not to be to be knocked but that wasn't really engaging with li- literature in the same way and and actually it kind of took me down a road of these are the people that you read about. This is the theory that you engage with. And it didn't feel terribly open, but that, that could have been my, you know, me dutifully following what I was told for once in my life, um, which doesn't happen all the time. But so, so for me, there's a real like hunger for this now. And I don't, I don't remember it being like that when I was new to the profession. I remember having Sue Cowley's book and reading almost everything she's written cover to cover and really, really getting a lot from that. But I don't remember people saying, oh, have you seen this research project where the, where we're looking at, you know, the impact of oracy on children studying French? This was just not happening. Or if it was, I wasn't privy to it. Um, and I remember there being some, there were some well-intentioned drives. So I remember there was a TLA thing. I don't know if you ever did this, but there was like an accreditation that you could get for doing like a small-scale research project, which is a little bit like year two of the ECF. So it's in essentially what they do, but but I don't remember it having the same the same kind of weight behind it or the same kind of significance. But perhaps that's because I was just trying not to drown in you know detentions and homeworks and and marking, and perhaps I was oblivious to it. No, I think you're right. I think there has been a, a kind of shift, maybe from 
from not engaging with it to some people maybe engaging with it to now it's a core part of kind of training and everything else so it's built in and maybe teachers are coming in knowing that's you know part of their course and therefore they're more engaged with it certainly I didn't feel that was the case when I first started but like it's cool now wouldn't you agree it's really cool so like (laughs) like the festival of education and the world education summit and yeah yeah teach meets they're cool things it was there was no such coolness in my day but but um, I think CPD's really changed I think CPD's really changed hasn't it because I I often think about the early courses I went on that were courses and they were you went to a hotel and you sat in a conference room of a Mm. hotel for a day and you paid a ridiculous amount of money for the one person to talk to you Mm. and I think about it now I think I I probably wouldn't do that in in the same way now there's so many other options out there more of a a pick and mix of CPD Mm. so to speak than uh than it ever used to be so I do think there's been a shift kind of and I think it's monetized a little bit isn't it because I think probably we're selling more CPD there's 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 a there's a market for it and perhaps it is to do with the retention crisis but it's just I don't know the last five six years all of a sudden we're speaking a kind of different language around teacher CPD which I think you can only embrace no, absolutely. So my last question on kind of this before I want to ask you some things from you, your perspective as an author, mm-hmm. what would be your top tips for new teachers and their mentors when it comes Ooh. to engaging with evidence beyond their school? So whether that's podcasts or that's books, or that's social media, what would you just, even if it's one tip, what would you go for? I think keep an open mind. And I think what, what I find a lot, with a lot of things actually in, in education, there's a lot of what I would call the emperor's new clothes, where people want to agree because someone clever or somebody who's high up hierarchically says, this is this is the thing. And I think there's so much of people going, yeah, I, I see that too. Um, and actually, I think it's okay if something doesn't resonate. And I think actually that's quite important to to be open about that and I don't think you know just kind of blindly endorsing every initiative it, it, that's not what we need we want people to be critical and we want people to be able to contextualize you know what what we receive um because we are consumers in a way that perhaps you and I weren't at the start of our career so I think it's really important to kind of be discerning in that respect and I think as mentors I think we have to be realistic about what we're expecting our early career teachers to do because the ECF is incredibly comprehensive, which isn't to say it covers everything, but it's it's a it's a lot. It's a really big job of work. And I, I wonder if that's going to change anytime soon because, as I say, there's been quite a lot of feedback. And I do believe in what it's doing, but I think I think it could be a little bit easier to manage. Um so, so for me, I think be discerning, keep an open mind and be realistic. Um, and I always issue mine with a reading list in September. And I say, if one of you reads this and wants to come back and tell us, it's, this is not kind of essential. It might be helpful, but I wouldn't ever say to a, a, an early career teacher, go home and read this book instead of preparing for the next day. And I think we have to be realistic that that's really, you're on that treadmill for quite a while before you can really take your foot off and if it is really important then dedicate time to it use mentoring time in a kind of directed specific way rather than it just being like oh 
read it if you if you like, which is not going to help anybody. Yeah. So before we, Joel, as we kind of pivot into talking about your experience as an author, now I know it and listeners who've been listening to From Page to Practice for long enough will also know it. But for anybody else, can you give us a little bit of a synopsis of your book? Yes. So my book that I wrote with my brother, which is always interests people because he's a maths teacher. So we wrote a book um, called Teach Like a Queen, Lessons in Leadership from Great Contemporary Women. And we have aligned the Nolan principles um, with seven women who are uh, inspirational uh, or maybe not. And that therein is the is the lesson about them. Um, and we uh, explore what they have done and then we put it into the context of teaching and then we have a case study in there to kind of really bring it to life so it's it's a bananas idea that somehow got published and we still kind of laugh to to ourselves that we pulled it off because we were like are they really going to publish a book where we talk about Kim Kardashian well the answer is yes they did (laughs) yes they did um so it we, we wanted to write something that didn't feel like CPD and that's a kind of a stupid move, really, because the market you want <laughs> aren't looking for what you're selling. So lesson learned there. But we wanted it to feel kind of like episodic, that you could just pick up a chapter. Each chapter is like 3,000 words. You could read it one week, put it to one side, and then pick it up, you know, in a in a, in a a half term. Um, but it's a real celebration of women, and it's got lots of practical things in about, specifically about leadership. Um, which isn't to say, by the way, that it's because it's readable, that it's, there's no substance, because I, I feel strongly that, that there is some substance to it, but it's packaged. It doesn't look like a CPD book that was deliberate, um, and it doesn't feel like one in some ways. No, I totally agree with you. When I first heard about your book, I thought that's a really d- different concept. Actually, it brings a bit of a bit of fun to it. The way you talk about it as well, it's a bit of something different. It's refreshing that it's not another book that's a specific specific topic and you will learn exactly this, you know, bit of research about that. I, I really enjoyed it as something different oh, and thank you. you know. So how do you think that books like yours or the ones available can support teachers how do you like from an author's perspective what what makes you go out there and do it what was your drive yeah so I said well there was so the teach like a queen is a is a kind of perfect storm and I've spoken about this before because we had lockdown my brother and I had just seen six the musical where we learn about the queens to the king of Henry VIII and that was interesting and it was postmodern and it was weird and we loved it and then lockdown happened and I finished 10% Braver by Women Ed, which all of that together resulted in the book. And what I had in my mind the whole time was thinking about when I went into leadership at the start um, and my first leadership role was head of year. And I would never sit at the front of that meeting because I was so uncomfortable in that role. And I think sometimes when you go into leadership and when you're going to teaching, you need to kind of be able to draw on different personas or different characters so we thought that we'd kind of hand pick these power women that you could just draw on and take take bits from them um and then you know go about your day and I I would liken it to early in my career I used to listen on the way to work to defying gravity from the wicked soundtrack (laughs) love it and, and it used to fire me up and I used to think when we were writing I was thinking that's the feeling I want people to have I want people to feel 
like they can put on this character they can go in they can have a difficult conversation but they don't have to go home and you know destroy themselves and you know spend their whole evenings and weekends ruminating about a conversation that had to be had because it was for the best interest of the students so that was the kind of premise um of just wanting to fire people up and it is it is about women but I wouldn't say it's only about women um because you know my brother's a man and he he wrote he wrote with it with me so um it's just about putting on a character really and being inspired and the, the other thing I would add is I heard this phrase years ago and it's really stayed with me and I've used it actually in the Kim Kardashian chapter is that outrageous goals are achievable and actually outrageous goals are relative aren't they so for me writing and publishing a book was completely outrageous so we we grew up like free school meals unthinkable that we'd even go to university let alone publish a book in in our family so I had this kind of like pay it forward pay it forward everything you've learned get the best bits and feed it to people who need it was the idea what would you say to to teachers who are listening who have maybe got that idea of something they want to do that's maybe their outrageous goal maybe to write a book what would you say to you know how how did you go about approaching the whole thing well, I, <laughs> I used another tactic that I've made a career from that I would loosely call fake it till you make it. So I, I spoke about the book like it was happening because I decided I was writing it whether somebody would publish it or not. So I said, I'm writing a book. I'm working on a book with my brother. And people would go, you're working on a book? And I'm like, well, it's a Word document on my laptop, but we won't. We don't need to elaborate. Um, and actually, I just decided that I would be completely shameless in who I approached and I would have absolutely no embarrassment over emailing people because if they don't want to reply to me and many people have not replied (laughs) to me like what did it matter you know it doesn't matter so so I went for um, Vivian Porritt who's really high up in women ed and I don't think I perhaps realized quite how high up until the book came out and we had to amend the cover to put her OBE on on the end of her name. And I thought, okay. Um, So I I just spammed them. And I said, look, I'm in really early talks with a publisher. That was a bit of a fib because I'd sent it to one publisher, but that was in my head. I was in talks. Yeah. Um, You initiated those talks? You were in talks? Yeah. Yeah. Um, (laughs) But I, I was surprised with how many people's, um, what they were doing aligned with what we were doing. So that would be my perhaps tip is say it out loud, speak it into the universe, the law of attraction, manifestation, all of that. But I really did like commit to it. And I was maybe a bit obsessive about it um, because I I still, even the day that I knew it was being delivered to my house, I still didn't believe it was going to happen. So trust me, if, if you want something bad enough, and you're prepared to um, you're prepared to hustle and you're prepared to put in the work. There's no reason. Um, and something I say to the students: you can have anything, but you can't have everything. So I could I published the book, but I couldn't I couldn't um, watch Tiger King every night in lockdown because I was writing. But you make your choices, don't you? And you prioritize what's important. So 
for for me, everything's there f- for the taking. And, and if you believe in it, there's a high chance that somebody else does. And if they do, they'll support you. And I have to say, women ed, like they really are about what they say they're about because they've they backed us. They were like, oh well, we we can't get it published, but we can we can support you. We can uh, we can write the forward. And I was like, okay, <laughs> okay. Um, so snap their hands off. And, and, and I, to this day, think that's why it got published is because I went to them with the backing of somebody who had already done what we were about to do. Um, and even when I was like hustling for like endorsements, I mentioned Sue Cowley earlier because I thought, whose books have I really loved in my profession? And I thought, do you know, what? I'm just going to ask. I'm just going to ask. And it's surprising if you if you ask what people are prepared to do. And you know what it's like in teaching? We we want to help. We're, we're wired to help. We're built to support people. And we, we want people's dreams to come true. So there's a real community there that, that get behind you. Um, oh, absolutely. I think you're so right when you used about, about values being aligned, you know, picking the right people to approach about the right things. And if they're, you know, it's something they're also interested in, they're going to want to see it happen, aren't they? They're going to want to see it be successful. So speak to those, those people and don't be afraid to kind of put yourself out there because sometimes you have to, don't you? You just have to go, you know what, what's the worst that can happen? They'll say no. Yeah, and I think we say that to our students, don't we? Oh, we say, like, yeah. we say, like, you know, regrets worse than failure. I, you know, I can, I can live with not being good enough. I can't live with not trying, and that's kind of the, the idea. But yeah, and and I, you, you would think that people would be competitive with its books and 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 you know its sales and with different publishers, but but we haven't found that once. We've just found support and reaching out to people that you admire. And just saying, do you know what? I really, I really admire what you've done. Do you think you would help me? And people do. It's amazing. And and by the way, this is my offer. If anybody ever inboxes me, spams me with anything, I will get behind them if if I possibly can because people have done that for me. That's the thing. It's all about paying it full circle, isn't it? And for all of the the issues behind social media, there is an awful lot to be gained yeah. from from the contacts you can make on it, aren't there? So taking what you were taking your offer there. Uh, before we move on to our final section, how can people get hold of you? Where can they find you? What's coming up next for you? Is there anything you want to share? Yeah, so I'm on Twitter at, at Mrs. Queen Lees, L-E-E-S-E. Um, I have to say I picked the Twitter name for the book and I think people must think, who is this? Well, sorry, <laughs> not it. sorry. Sorry, not sorry. Uh, but the book also has a Facebook page, which is called Teach Like a Queen. And on Instagram, we are at T-L-A-Q book. Um, and rather excitingly, I am working on a second book, which is... Um, a similar idea to teach like a queen, but this is about well-being, teacher well-being in particular, and we use a kind of similar model. Um, it's a different co-author. It's not my brother. It's a, a, a colleague within my trust named Charlotte, and it's about the people that we've used are with protected characteristics. So um, I don't know if I've ever said the title anywhere. Do you think I can say it? It's up to you. <laughs> you can always say it. Come back and check with me and I'll just put a nice bleep across this or take it out. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? Someone Googles it. I don't think I can I can support that. So the new book's gonna be called Wellbeing Wins. Wellbeing Wins for Teachers, um, what we can learn from iconic individuals. So it's it's not about women, it's about protected characteristics and 
again, from through hustling and just asking um, Hannah Wilson uh, at Ethical Leader, she of Diverse Educators fame is writing the foreword for us. So it, again, I just asked and I said, this is a bit much, you know, there's no fee. <laughs> there's no fee because you know what it's like in academic publishing, but would you? And she was like, I'd absolutely love to, yeah. So who knew? So 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 that's that's what I'm working on at the moment, alongside obviously the day job of changing Stoke on Trent one teacher at a time. Wow. <laughs> yeah, and, and and no lockdown in which to be doing it this time. I know. So. That's that's a bit of a <laughs> that's a bit of a uh, that's a bit of a shock to be honest. But again, it's you found that person who's aligned with your the values of what, of what you're writing about. You know, Hannah is exactly that, and to to approach them course she's going to want to do it because she wants to see other people reading about that exact same topic yeah, so it's great exactly and I like that you're sticking to the 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 similar kind of format but taking it in a different direction sounds really interesting I look forward to it thank you sign up to receive the from page to practice weekly newsletter to read tips and advice from my guests as well as information on upcoming episodes find the link in the show notes for this episode that leads us to our very last section then that I am calling my CPD library section. Now, originally, this was going to be a quick fire round. And then okay. I remembered that I'm talking to teachers who want to give me stories and explanations. And yeah, the sorry. idea of quick fire went straight out the window because no one, not a single person that I've spoken to so far could possibly have coped with quick fire. So be as quick or as slow as you like. Okay. I really don't mind. So... I've got a list of categories and I'd like either the the book, the article, the podcast, the whatever that comes to mind for that category. Okay. So first got you into evidence-informed practice. Probably Kate Jones, retrieval practice. Um, and then you go down a wormhole, don't you? And you end up Absolutely. in the EEF. So I would say probably, <laughs> probably that. Yep. Uh, resonated with you the most. I have to say 10% braver women ed and then being 10% braver and I'll always be indebted to that book um and just incredible to have something that you've kind of felt innately um and instinctively in your career but put to you in such definitive terms and label it and calling it out as the injustice that it is it changed my perspective and it and it gave me a book so I'll I'll it beyond resonated beyond resonated <laughs> fantastic books and a fantastic community alongside it as well so a great choice um challenged your views hmm. so i would say the e certain aspects of the eef don't always uh link with me um i love by the way alex quigley but again, some of that work, so I looked at his like disciplinary literacy stuff because there were other factors at play in the literacy of my learners. I couldn't, I couldn't quite execute it in the exact same way, which isn't to say it isn't brilliant work because it is, but we had to do other things before we could go for disciplinary literacy. So I would say, I would say that challenged my assumptions because I just wanted to take it and, and, it, and mm -hmm. you can't always do that. You can't no, you always can't. lift it and put it into your context. Uh, next one, had the biggest impact on your practice? Can I go really old school? Go for it. Can I go really old school? Like really old school is the teacher's toolkit that I had 
It was my birthday present as an NQT, believe it or not. <laughs> Paul Guinness, he's not with us anymore, obviously, but I don't know if you ever use the teacher's toolkit. Um, it was unreal. And in Stoke-on-Trent, he was actually local to Stoke. He would come into the schools and work with us, and he was every bit as magical as you think. But I feel like I'm talking about, like, the arc to, you know, Generation Z, because I realise that's very out of practice. But his was like a you'd open the page and it'd be like, here's an activity. And it was so simple and it was funny. He would put funny things in. Um, and I think you've got, you've got to find the joy. You've got to find oh, the absolutely. joy in CPD because <laughs> otherwise it's a flipping hard slog. Of course. So now I know you said you give them your ECTs a list, but one book that should be ECT required reading. <laughs> this is very difficult. You can give me two if you must. Well, I, I, I like uh, Tom Bennett running the room mm-hmm. because I think that a lot of early career teachers want tangible strategies. And I think it's full of those for going in in September of this is how it's going to be and this is how I'm going to bring it about. So that's on my reading list. I still like the Sue Cowley, How to Survive Your First Year in Teaching. I don't know, haven't revisited it since I was an early career teacher, but I know she's just done a new edition of it. That is Mm -hmm. on my list. But if they could only read one, maybe Alex Quigley, um, Mind the Gap, The Vocabulary Gap. Yep. Um, Probably that, because particularly in my context, um, the word gap is is huge and... and, and, um, and it impacts every area of the curriculum. Um, but maybe if I had to go for one of those, maybe I'd go for running the room. Yeah, you're the second person to say that, actually. Oh, am I? Uh, yeah, the, the last person I spoke to, because in a way, like you said, if you haven't got the behaviour, you're not going to build anything else on top of it. So empower yourself to go in feeling like you've got this before. Yeah, and I think it's a good place to start, isn't it? It's how I'm going to set my stall out. It's it's how I'm going to create that that's going to pay off and I want to go in in September with everything ready for that payoff yeah that makes sense a few more then inspired okay. you I feel you might have already said it I think feel free I've to repeat if you it. have that's fine oh I love 10% braver everyone <laughs> um, that's absolutely fine I get that as soon as but, I said inspired you I thought oh I think she wants to say 10% braver I, think, <laughs> I do but but I, I say it because it still astounds me when I speak to women and female leaders, there's a lot of them that don't know about the community and there's a lot of kind of universal uh, challenges and you think, I know what you need to read. (laughs) But of course I offer them my book first. Um, But um, yeah, just, just very readable, very relatable, um, scary, but also solution focused. So I'm, yeah, sorry, I'm a, I'm an unoriginal human. No, I don't blame you at all. Uh, your most recent read. So I've been reading diverse educators recently, um, and rereading bits of diverse educators, a manifesto. And I suppose it's gone a little bit beyond the, the book now because I've started to engage with the community a little bit um and that book's only like a year old it feels like it's been around far longer but I've really enjoyed um reading reflecting and taking some ownership for building diversity um in schools because what that book tells us is it's not somebody else's job and two more next on your to be read pile 
I don't know if this is specifically about teaching, but is it called Outlier? Outliers? Out? Not heard of it, but it doesn't have to be specifically teaching, so that's fine. Outliers. Uh, my brother recommended it to me, which means it won't be uh, in any way something I would choose. Um, what's next on my list? I would like to read um, the uh, most recent Highly Hughes book about mentoring uh, and about coeducative practice and about um, uh, instructional coaching. I think probably that. So the last one on my list, people have taken in kind of different directions, but it's a book that doesn't exist, but you think should. So is it a topic that you think everyone should read more about and there isn't a book on there quite doing that? Or is it something that you think, I'm really interested in hearing about this. I'd like an expert to write a bit more about that. Well, the the next thing I'm writing about is well-being. And I think there's a whole, and there are some really good, by the way, well-being um books out there but I think there's there's so much work to do with with teachers in terms of self-care um and kind of self-work and self-discipline because I think you know as teachers we we pour from the empty cup don't we and we we're, we're so guilty of that so I think I think that but having it in a having it in an empowering way that we're not talking about the problem that we will talk about um, solutions that are practical. I'm sort of describing some of what I've (laughs) written, but I like books where it's got like, like sentence, like, what can I say? What? So one of the things that I've just written is how can I say no to something without saying no? So like, you know, those sorts of practical things that I can actually go away and I can practice and I can perhaps move the words around so I don't sound like I'm rehearsing it, but it's actually equipping teachers with practical strategies to, to keep them well. Because we, we, we need teachers to be, you know, at the, the best kind of efficacy possible. 100%. And that's, that comes to the end. So is there anything you were hoping to talk about today that you haven't had a chance to say? I don't think so. I think... I think I would like to say to teachers, if you've got expertise in something, there is a market for it, whether it's a book, whether it's a podcast. So I really think if you've got expertise in it, somebody wants that and somebody will benefit from that. And I think what we perhaps are naturally inclined to do as teachers is we're like, I would say like chronically humble, where we're like, oh, I've just, I've just created this a glossary for you with 7,000 high frequency words and it's nothing but actually people people want what you've got um and I'm very much about find your niche what what is it that makes you you as a practitioner and how can you share that with others and I think we as a community we do need to and we're really good at passing it on but I think we always underestimate ourselves and overestimate others so I suppose there's there's something in that for everybody as well What a great closing message. Thank you very much for coming. Thanks for having me. Bye. Bye. Are you interested in evidence-informed practice? Do you have a favourite edgy book? Have an idea of what great CPD is and should be? Or to just generally have a chat about education? Please sign up to join me for a conversation. I rely on volunteers from all contexts and levels of experience. Visit learninglinguist.co.uk forward slash page practice podcast for the sign up form. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Next week, you'll be hearing from Arthur Moore of the Tea and Teaching podcast. 
If you're looking for something else to listen to this week and don't already subscribe to it, why not give it a try? You've been listening to From Page to Practice. Don't forget to join in the conversation using hashtag Page Practice Podcast. Thanks go to Kevin McLeod of Incomtech.com for use of the tracks Cheery Monday and Fuzzball Parade, which are licensed under Creative Commons. <laughs>